2: Right, okay, so we And Whoa. yes again we're presented with a, a fabulous pre title sequence with the AcroStar. I mean this one to be fair, a lot of it was due to the, the way it was filmed, wasn't it? Talking to John Glenn, the way they did the shots of it going through the you know, the sort of aerodrome, whatever it is. They deliberately hanger, put load yeah. load the, lo- the hangar. sorry, yeah, deliberately put loads of extras and objects so you couldn't see Mm. The bottom of it was actually attached to wheel well that was on wheels wasn't it as it was going
3: through it was it was uh the the plane was mounted onto a jaguar car yeah yeah which was camouflaged and then driven by john richardson who was yeah the, the guy who pulled the short straw because nobody else yeah. wanted it. but you know he designed the whole thing and so he said we could do it and this is only on the basis that corky Fornoff, who was flying the plane had had been i said we'd like you to fly through the hangar, and he said no. And, you know, <laughs> pretty, you know, and and you can't blame him really. Under certain circumstances, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's pulled off some extraordinary stuff already um, uh, out in the states when they were doing uh, lots of the, the the flying, and he's having. The uh, heat-seeking missile is atta- just—I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here. It's not really a heat-seeking; it's attached on a wire behind the plane. Having said <laughs> that, I just want to make that quite clear. So he's done all of that, you know. He said, "I'll fly through it." He said, "But I'm not going to fly through it when there's people in it," and, which, of course, was the was the idea. So, in order to get round that, John Richardson said, "Well, I can mount the aeroplane on a pole arm." But in order to hide the pole arm, I'm going to need people moving in front, and that's what John Glenn then created. So you have mm. a situation where he's driving it at 70, 80 miles an hour through the hangar. You've then got people moving in front. Then the plane tilts, which then <laughs> hides <laughs> the pole arm anyway. Just for this particular sequence, Roger's not in it. So if you look at it from us, if you look at it from the, the the adjacent shots, the window. There's a long window in the background in the hangar itself which is at head height almost when the plane is turning and when you get the Roger shots it's much higher up so he's obviously on the back of a loaded di- or a low loader or something of like that being dragged through this thing and then when John Richardson got out the other side um, the uh, the thr- the throttle was wide open and the brakes didn't work so <laughs> he was he then had to pull the hand the the um, the emergency brake, the handbrake, and slide it across the grass so that he didn't land in, uh, or crash into the side of several million quids' worth of, of aircraft which was being sat there. So it was a quite a hairy moment, by all accounts. Wow. Fill her up, please. <laughs> but those are the type of things that make Bond films. you know. And that, that I've always said, and I will continue to say, that explosion, when that, that hangar goes off, is magnificent. Yeah. And do you know why it's magnificent? Is because each single tile that comes yeah, off that yeah. has been put on by hand that is a physical model and it has been built to scale simply for the purpose of being demolished <laughs> and blown so up. Good. but each everything it's got little windows in it it's got ev- ev- every tile when that explosion goes off those little tiles almost in 3d come towards the camera yeah. screen and they blow it's brilliant absolutely brilliant it's a wonderful, wonderful sequence, and of course, you've got the this this uh, a, a couple of stunt guys. They're the guys who are escorting Bond after he's been captured to wherever they're taking Bond to. Before the young lady comes along uh, with the Range Rover and the thing, and they and Bond jumps ship. Well, you know, these two guys. One of them is Chris Webb, and uh, I said to Chris, "Why are you wearing a parachute?" He said. It's a Bond movie. He said they could have asked me to wear a tutu; it wouldn't have made a blindest <laughs> bit of difference. I'd still do it because wearing a parachute—they're not—they're not a parachute regiment. But I couldn't understand for the life of me why he was wearing one. And obviously, he's wearing one because it makes life a lot simpler when Bond goes and grabs the rip cords, pulls them, and off they go. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And you know, people go, "Well, you, you can't, you can't, you can't shoot tires the tires out on a military vehicle," you know. Well, yeah, yeah, I know that, but it's a Bond film, so cut them some slack. You know. uh-huh. uh,
0: but yeah, that, that's that, that again seeing octopus the. Actually- As you've just described, it's one of those perfect sequences which brings the skills of all the different departments together. So you've got the fabulous miniature, uh, as you say, with the explosion. You've got the stunt work. Yep. And you've also got John Glenn's direction thinking of a way around the practical issues of the pole and how is he going to, exactly. you know, get the shots in, in the film. And it really it brings everybody together to make this incredible sequence.
3: More foreground miniatures as well, because when that plane flies out, if you look really closely, the nearest set of doors are Not way closer street. to the camera than they really should be. But that's only because Corky would only fly through it when the doors were wide open and fly yeah. through it flat. So when he comes out, he comes out and then pitches at an angle as he flies out of the out of the thing, which yeah, it's again slightly, is a, is yeah, a really yeah. difficult thing to do when you're flying that fast. Because those that plane would probably fly through there at 140 miles an hour, maybe 150. I mean, really at full oh. point. And he's then having to come through. And as soon as he sees daylight the other side and he's clear, pitch that up so he then banks to one side it's a very impressive piece of kit and of course as i said they they were going to use it in moonrake originally but uh oh yeah Yeah. they they did the right thing by hanging on to it for this but it's i like those movies when they're i like pre-titles when they have absolutely nothing to do with the movie whatsoever that's the i think it's one of the last ones really where you've (laughs) certainly got that and then you go right i'm ready now anything you want to throw at me I'm ready. I'm, I know what I'm trying <laughs> to get now. They've, they've given you the starter, right? Here's the main course, you know? It's fantastic. <laughs> and then they go from that, of course, to Peterborough. Yeah, yes. Part of the river going around the back of the Neen Valley for that uh, for that opening sequence there. And, of course, you've got an interesting story with 009, who is played by Andy Bradford. Andy Bradford yep. was a, an yep. actor before he was a stuntman. He was in Star Wars uh, as, a, as an actor. He's in all, all sorts of things. And, of course, his big break came in Flash Gordon, he started as a stuntman on Flash Gordon because they were looking for people. And he was fairly fit and had all of the sort of qualifications they needed, so joined. So he is 009. He does the chase. They did some stuff initially in Berlin. Then they flew to back to uh, Black Park, did the rest of the chase through there with the Twins. And then they went on location to Peterborough to do the fall into the water, which he did. Wow. And then they needed the next stage, which was him crashing through the windows. But of course, the the, the thing with uh, a lot of stunt guys is that maybe they're needed here and there. Or they might have a day here or a day there, and they're able to do this today, but not tomorrow. And uh, Alf Joint had asked him to to go up. To Yorkshire and, and film a, a thing that he was doing for TV, so he went, you know. And the Bond people had contacted him while he was away and said, "Look, we need you back. We need you back because we want to get the rest of the sequence done." He said, uh, I'm "Just I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing." Alf said to him, "You know, did they offer to come up and fly you down, or you know, did they did they say you get extra money for it?" They said, "No." He said, "Well, bugger them then. You know, you're <laughs> you're with me. You know, they'll find somebody else. It's a clown, for God's sake. They'll find anybody." And I think that's where the sense of that whole sequence worked later on in the movie. You're in clown. You know, you're dressed yeah. as a clown. Yeah. Anybody could do it. <laughs> so they then brought in another stuntman to do it. You know, Dave Holland was the stunt guy that then crashed through the window because Andy Bradford was elsewhere. And nobody knew Jesus. until somebody somebody then yeah. queried, hang on, why has this guy signed your photograph? Andy would occasionally do comic cons <laughs> or <some laughs> yeah. stuff of that nature. <laughs> well, this is... Um, and somebody would, would say, look, i got this photograph a couple of years ago, and this guy, Dave Holland, signed it. it went, Yeah, well, that's Dave Holland. <laughs> what? You know, I thought you were 009. Oh, we both are. <laughs> you can't both be 009. It's very confusing, you know. But, identical uh, the, twins and identical clowns. Exactly, you know, from the, from the base of filming, that's what they had to do. So all of that sort of stuff. So that was all terrific. And they did all that for real again. And the fact that this movie then gets an opportunity to go to such extremes as India, Martin was doubling Roger over here, and uh, Rocky Taylor went off and doubled Roger over in India. The Tuk Tuk chase was a good example of Reme his boys doing all the all the bits and pieces. Although Rocky was in the back of it for a couple of those landings, going down the stairs, you know, Definitely. this should shake him off, all of that sort of stuff, yeah. and the wheelies, you know, and <laughs> you know, they they were struggling. Of course, they were struggling over there for um indian stunt guys this is 1980 83 83 filming in 82 for 83 you know there aren't any there are indian stunt people but again it's a union thing and you can't have somebody here etc etc on certain cases dear old dave bickers who was the stunt engineer but of course was a world champion motocross motorcyclist he does some of the doubling for vj Amritraj in the tuk-tuks when they're doing that and then dominic julian does the jump with the tuk tuk over the camel over the camel. I mean and actually jumping over a camel. Now you don't know that. Evil even evil Knievel didn't jump over a camel. But uh <laughs> Dominic Julien did. So yeah, some some interesting moments out there. Uh, the most important thing for, for Rocky's point of view of course was the um the tiger chase. So he has to wade across this appalling water to then get into the boat. Are you with our crew? No, I'm with the economy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All of that. And of course he's wearing a wetsuit. He looked at the water and he said, Bob Sim said to him, You need to wade through it. He went, Push. he said, Put a wetsuit on and make sure it's tied at the bottom and make sure your wrists are all tied and all that. he said, That's okay. So he goes out and he wades across and he gets on and, and the woman reaches out because michael wilson's on the boat as well so, uh, he reaches out to pull him in and she screams and drops him into the water because he's covered from head to foot in leeches oh. most horrible thing and then they they all had goes at him with cigarette lighters, trying to burn these things off which was which was nice you know so uh, <laughs> that's the, not not the, not the happiest side of of stunt work but it was while they were well, in india that that martin grace was filming the train sequence here and peter was oh, yeah. injured when roger is in the crocodile <laughs> <laughs>
2: Are his legs underwater standing up,
3: or is he perpendicular? Is he no? He's, he's horizontal. Again. it is, he is. It is horizontal. a hollow. It is a hollow. To a point, the tail area at the back is where the little motor's housed, but it is a hollow crocodile. So he's stood up. No, he's lying down. It's hollow, It was lying the length of it. And (laughs) then he does that thing with his head where he's just – and then the whole thing comes back down again. (laughs) It's a pity they didn't catch on, really. I could see see those really catching on. They would be (laughs) – although the movement – I'll get to that in a minute, but it's just uh, the the movement of the crocodile. I don't understand the fight followed by the guy being attacked by the crocodile – but this crocodile's rigid. I mean, it's not moving. So is that one, are they one of the crocodiles that he's got into and has then, yeah, oh, I'm very yeah. confused.
2: No, let's, I think not even, he, let's not even think about it. In my head, God. I think that is a real, those are a real couple of crocodiles. Bond somehow gets rid of them and pushes this guy into them. And they're, they're, they're happily eating, eating him, him while he swims up. While he's swimming to the shore to get to his, and that's, later on that he's moved. All, all makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll write
3: that down as a theory. That's an option. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so while yeah, all of yeah. this excitement is happening yeah. in India, Martin Grace is at uh, the Neen Valley Railway and they've done the running across the top of the train. And there's been a number of doubles because, obviously, Martin's done a majority of it. But then, Martin has this accident. Yeah, very, yeah. All very confusing, really, because traditionally what would happen is that you clear a length of track. You clear a section and that's where you film from point A the number one position, to number two. And it's been cleared by safety. They've gone through it. Yep, this is okay. That's fine. No, that needs moving. You can't keep that there. That's overhanging. That'll have to go. And they clear that section so that you, you know wires and cables and all sorts of bits and pieces are removed. So they've done that, and they've got all these great scenes. And so a number of those sequences, the running across the top, the climbing down and getting onto the back of the train, all that would have been filmed on the same section of railway the same length of railway and then for some peculiar reason and it's obviously a breakdown of communication between the pilot of the helicopter and the Arthur Wooster is directing second unit at this point and instead of saying go back to the first position he says just keep going just keep going which is okay just keep going but we don't know what's beyond this point because we've not cleared this section of track. and Martin, It's travelling at 40 miles an hour, so Martin's not, he's concentrating on what he's doing as opposed to, if, as he said himself, if he'd looked up and looked, he'd actually have seen the concrete post coming and would have tried to have got out of the way or stood up and allowed it to go by him. But because he was hanging down, it hit him a square on his his left hip and threw him in the air like a bowling ball. Now, the thing with Martin, and this is, again, he doesn't even know why he did it himself, but this is the mark of the man, is the fact that he has managed. He's travelling at 40 miles an hour. He's hit a stationary concrete post at the side of the track at 40 miles an hour. It has thrown him in the air, and at no point has his right hand left the side of that. (laughs) He's holding on you know he had this hand has gone his legs have gone up in the air and this is absolutely fixed and that's the only reason he's he you know managed to survive that because otherwise yeah. if he dropped he could have gone underneath the train and been killed oh god and he's literally hanging on by his arm the train uh, as you know that's it's a bit like a ship i suppose it can't just stop immediately it needs a period yeah. of time to stop And then a helicopter, the helicopter comes down to pick him up. And uh, he said a very odd thing, which was that he's never smoked in his life, but he needed a cigarette to almost take his mind off the pain or just keep him busy with doing something else for a moment. And then they took him away and he was taken to hospital. Six months later, he turned up in in India. You know, he was back on, yeah, he's back on, the, was back on the set, uh, on crutches, admittedly, but he was back on the set, uh, on the Indian set, rather, uh, uh, at Pinewood, where they were doing some of the fighting there. So he turned up to watch what was going on. He was in such an extraordinary way. He really was. Uh, and I, I, I saw the strength of that. Then you have a number of doubles. Paul Weston, Rocky was supposed to come back from India. He was coming back. And then found that Paul Weston was doing a lot of the doubling on top of the train. Okay, Jim Dowdle, who was one of the the guys who was uh, one of the Russians, he was the guy that was shot and fell down the flight of stairs, oh, uh, down the bridge. He is now doubling Bond on the side of the train as well. And then you've who's, got Reg, Gabinder, then on top. Uh, Reg Harding uh, is right. uh, Gabinda, so they have that fight on the top there. And of course, one of the two fabulous moments, and again old school fabulous moments. Firstly, Paul's on top of the train there are a number of things coming along the track one of which is a pole a post, yeah. it's a, a pipe piece of pipe that arrives so he lies down and it goes over him and then he gets up and he got to the, the final point and he said to the guy there was a stunt guy that was in the, in the, the, the car- carriage because originally he has to come out and then dive under this post under this um, yeah. pipe and he said I reckon that when I get further down the track when I get to the next one they're going to want me to dive over it he says they're not going to want me to lie down under that one like I lay down under this one and he left this one quite late He's, he said to the guy I'm going to wait to then go one, two, now and go up and dive under the post but he got to about five that, I mean, you look at that final take as the door comes up and that that it's right on top of him and how it missed him I don't know but the second one, he sees this thing coming and, of course, has to time it so he can dive over it. Yeah. Which is a terrific shot, but the landing really. is the most complicated because the sides slip away on a carriage, so he has to make sure he's um, very solid on it. But the dismount, of course, at the end, he's up there with yeah, Wayne. They jump
2: off both of them, don't they? Both of them. Now, you know,
3: you know, this, again, this is old school and it's timing. So they're on top of the train. They start off with a sandbag and they go now, and they throw the sandbag, and where the sandbag lands, that's where the box rig has to go in order for them to land, right? So that's how they're working at it, based on the speed. There's two of them up there who are jumping off. Wayne Michaels is doubling um, uh-huh. the um, doubling the, one of the twins. He has to go backwards, then Paul has to go forwards, but they can't go together. Paul has to wait just a touch longer so that he's away, and then he goes, if they go together... They, you know, they're going to land together, or maybe overshoot the area because there there might be some contact between each other in midair. They may push each other further, so they have to wait just that longer. And it is, you know, it's remarkable. It really is. It's yeah. a very very exciting gag to watch. And then Rocky then doubles Roger, rolling into the undergrowth and running through the trees. Oh, yeah. So they've it's it's a. It's a perfect example of what you do with a stunt double. You know, you don't get one person to do everything. You get half a dozen of them to do it all. And then Uh, Roger's lovely grunts on top of it. Yep, you couldn't have anything without Roger's grunts, which are legendary. (laughs) He has a lot of those.
0: (laughs) And this... for my brother.
3: Ah! Ah! And that's for 009 again I saw that train so I thought this is fantastic how are you going to top that how do you top that you know terrific chase on top of a train well very clearly you do exactly the same thing on top of a plane (laughs) you know again not just the two guys on top of the train on top of the plane because they've proved they can do this you know they've proved that they are world class and they are BJ Worth and Jake Lombard, they are the people you yeah. want to have. There's a team of them as well. Again, photographer, safety guys, you name it. They've all got them up there. But for me, there's a moment just earlier, because he has to ride the horse and he has to chase the plane and has to jump ahead of the horse yeah. to get onto the tail of the plane. Now, that's a stuntman called Norman Howell, who was uh, later on in life was... Um, Kevin Costner stunt double was the coordinator on uh, Dancers with Wolves, but is uh, an extraordinary horseman, and knew that he. I mean that that plane is not at full tilt, but it's not far off, and you look at the horse's ears. As as he's galloping and, and they are flat back, so he's at uh, really at full whack. In order for him to then, yeah. he's got a he's using special stirrups called an L step, so that it's just a, a an L shape. You don't get your foot caught in it. There's no chance of you being dragged under the horse or anything. He pushes down and pushes forwards to go past the horse's head and land on the tail of the plane, and that is really complicated to get all of that working at the same time. Then he has to hang on while the plane does an initial takeoff and then comes back, and then Jake gets on to do the rest of the fight. But the stuff on top of the plane is, is fantastic. And that the hidden handholds and all of that sort of stuff, It's yeah. they paint it in a certain colour. It's beautiful. It really is. I think it's brilliant. Uh, incidentally, the plane, I always thought that it was the same plane that was used in uh, the um, airport sequence in um, uh, Live and Let Die. <laughs> <where> the <laughs> car crashes into it. It looks <laughs> like the same plane. It's painted yeah, yeah. the same way. That's the same plane, surely. No, it's really cleverly done. So it's it's one of those. It, is it that that scene there is probably Bond's all time high? Thank you very much. Oh yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really get mentioned in the same breath, does it? People don't instantly think the end of Octopussy. Oh yes, that's. that's no,
3: no, they're, they're more they're more they're more concerned about why Roger's wearing a clown outfit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a,
2: well, circus. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, ridiculous.
3: Because he's a spy. Why it? would you not be wearing a clown outfit at a circus? It's the perfect it, disguise. That film and has aged so, so
4: well. The more That's I watch it, it's an it's unbelievable film. Yeah, it really is.
2: These four now are my favourite four. You know, from *Octopussy* to *License to Kill*. Mm. I just, I, I just can't believe how good they are. And been watching them as a kid, watching them now, and I'm, I'm yet to sort of have this revelation that no, I'm wrong. Well, I, I never will get that because there's so much to enjoy in them. I'm not going to argue with you
3: certainly, and and, and certainly as far as um, *A View to a Kill* is concerned, oh. it's it's a it's a real uh i'm not it's not even a hidden pleasure of mine i mean it's it's no, right. no, I, no. I absolutely love it it used no, to be great. my favorite blonde movie i would watch it day weekly daily as yeah, a child definitely. but weekly certainly as an adult because it's huge fun it's it's really
0: huge fun i think it i think if you Two Kills aged well because the the snobbery about roger's age which which you know didn't particularly bother me anyway but no. now that now that the film's 30 years old or whatever it is, 20, you know, nearly 30 years old. That's not something that's in your mind. No. I don't think when you watch it, no. just, he's just the actor playing Bond and playing him yep. as he does. So I think you then just, you can forget that. And you just focus on what a great film, it is. Absolutely. great story, pacing characters.
4: Yeah. Brilliant. There's so much love about it. It's so disingenuous to say it's about Roger Moore's age. I mean, like
0: if Roger gives, yeah.
4: all right. He doesn't, it does look older, but he gives a good performance. He's he he throws
3: himself full into it. Oh yeah. Christopher Walken he's, is just outrageous. Well, he, he's <laughs> absolutely Christopher Walken's a linchpin. Yeah. The fact that what what's always very interesting, I thought, was the, the fact that, you know, Christopher Walken is the villain. And who appears on the poster with with Roger, it's Grace Jones. You know? mm. Has Bond yeah, finally yeah. met his match. Well, yeah. not with Zoran, clearly, because you've got you've got to Mayday on here, you know. So there's a yeah. there's an interesting thing going on. It's a very uh, it's a very interesting poster when you look at it from that perspective. I think uh, I think she's just so
0: striking, isn't she? As a visual, yeah, yeah. Um, very muscular, very tall, yeah. uh, very obviously her hair. It was all so distinct that it made for a great poster, didn't it?
3: In fact, yeah. I wouldn't. But there was a lot of controversy at the time on the basis that you know she was playing a man's role mm. you know you, it, it wouldn't have been unusual to, to to see a poster that said you know this bloke's a woman you know yeah. You know, yeah. And go, well, well hang on yeah we know this but that, that at the time that would have been a, a, a perfectly com- you know that's yeah. the type of thing that the press were going around saying uh, and yet she's a very important part of this and many of the action sequences revolve around her but it's a, it's a good package skiing again Willie Bogner Johnny Eves sure. that opening and again it's like the briefest of moments, but he's found the chip. Yeah. He's found the little train. He's found the chip. There is machine gun fire. The entire ledge that he's standing on falls yes. away with the body, and he f- drops down, what, 60 feet yeah. down to the, <laughs> in the middle yeah. of this crevasse and then carries on skiing. Go, bloody hell, that was him. That's the first moment, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. And the other thing on here, which is absolutely vitally important to, to say, Johnny Eves is, is you know, is, is the. the world champion skier and the great double for for Roger Uh, Martin Grace is the stunt coordinator on this picture and does double Roger for a couple of moments during the course of the picture but for me what's very interesting here is that the laughable sequence that people laugh about is you know the whole Beach Boys sequence with the surfing thing however Tom Sims who is the guy who is doing the snowboarding invented snowboarding i mean you, you are looking at a moment <laughs> you are looking at a moment here where the guy that invented it is selling it to the world and again like we talked about the 2cv earlier sales of snowboards and the design of snowboards and the concept of snowboarding went through the roof after a view to a kill came out because all of a sudden this really simple scenario of hmm I wonder if I could ski on this down the side of the mountain bond picks it up the skid of the uh, of the the chopper and stands on it and skis down the thing and it looks like surfing we'll put some surfing music with it you know all right not the best choice anyway however not also obviously copyright issues because they got the Gideon Park version yeah. there, instead of yeah. the uh, Beach Boys one I love
2: how he goes back into the bottom of the, the uh, you know what's snow job theme. goes back into the, uh, the bottom of the
3: water yeah just incredible And how he gets off is quite a good stunt isn't it well, that, that, you, because you, do you can do board. that on a snowboard, you know. It's a, yeah. You, you're coming at it at a certain angle with a bow wave, so you hit it and carry on going. Whereas the two skiers behind hmm. then come at it flat. Yeah. The impetus is right in the middle. There's no. There's no bend in that. The physics yeah. suggests that you're just going to land flat, and they disappear into the water. You know. So that's the whole. The whole gag right there. But that's a huge moment. If for society for sports you know here in this film in this James Bond film and I give you snowboarding and there it's it true, is yeah. you know and there was snowboarding and people snowboarded you know and that's how it was absolutely superb it was good I think that's brilliant it's a great uh, it's a great sequence I've always I've always loved it And he uh, clips to the thing on the guy and the you know the, what do you call it the rope and the dangling off the edge the two oh yeah the hanging clips down again that's another lovely yeah. moment that's sort of in the old days they'd have called that thing a jerk harness where you would wear a harness and at a fixed point but what's happening here is it is literally going to be that and then it's an additional shot of where they where they dangle him over the side of a cliff yeah. it's a lovely moment I'm kicking the ski off trying to get onto the um, yeah, onto fun. the skidoo you know there's those moments and of course the, the whole paris sequence for me is is just magnificent i mean i i love the um uh you know again sorry we had snowboarding And I give you base jumping, you know, in the same movie, you know, they've, they've got these icon moments. And even though it nearly cost, uh, it nearly cost BJ and the rest of the parachutists their entire job because um, BJ's pal, who was uh, one of the supervisors for the, for the uh, unit was the second double. So BJ was in the Mayday outfit, the whole thing, and he was going to do it and he did the jump super. And then they said they might want another one. And so this guy got up there and then, then they realised at the last moment they didn't need another one. They'd got it all. They were perfectly happy with it. But he still wanted to jump off the Eiffel Tower. And you can't just jump off the Eiffel Tower. You know, you have <laughs> to be allowed to do it. And so he went up there at night. And and uh, what he didn't realise was that um, Cubby, John Glenn, Tom Pevster, the um, uh, the mayor of Paris was up there. There's a whole bunch of <laughs> other people, dignitaries, who were being... Walking around, and Tom Pevsner said, I was up there explaining, and I heard this <laughs> these two blokes <laughs> flew past him. And went, what the hell oh. was that? And, and they nearly got kicked out of the city, you know. So, they, luckily, they wow. managed to get the shot done first. But you're in Paris, you've got a car chase, you have Remy yeah. Julien. And you have the whole side of the of the seine closed down, so that Bond can wreak havoc. And you create for me one of the greatest yeah. moments in the entire franchise. Yeah, that absolutely. moment where the the Renault comes up the ramp, touches the top of the bus, and comes down the other side is spectacular. Uh, and I, I I've never seen it done better in any. And it's done for real. It's done stopwatches. That's it. no, no, no. She Follow that parachute. Yes. Out two takes the first take is he comes over and clips the edge on the way out and lands awkwardly in the, in the again a huge box rig which is movable because the bus comes along and shoves the front of it oh! Oh my God! the car rolls over they do it a second time and that's the take you have in the picture but it's just it's magnificent Michael Michel Julien Réme's son did that he's got the helmet on with peculiar hair on top of it and draw the <laughs> ears drawn on the side of his helmet. <clears throat> I wouldn't advise that for anybody. Don't draw ears on the side of your helmet, uh, particularly those of a nervous disposition. So, yeah, there's all of that. It's just a, a terrific moment. The whole chase has got, you know, those yeah. gags that reme has been doing for years. The car split in two, he's been doing that for years. And then, of course, you get to um, the moment then where Martin Grace then takes over to jump off the side of the bridge yeah. onto the boat and of course, it's a simple case of timing. Whether the boat comes along, he's not landing on the boat; he's landing on a box rig next to the boat. But he has to jump at the right moment to give the impression. Oh, okay. So, missing the boat and landing next to it, and it's a, it's a it's a great it's a great sequence. Uh, I remember I when it was out,
0: my my dad was looking to buy a new car, we went to, to Renault to look at the.
3: Was there the a promotion 11? because of the film?
0: Yeah, there was stuff everywhere, and like you said earlier, with. You know the Citroen two CV probably sold more, but you know I, I don't think my dad was quite swayed by it just being in the, in the Bond film. But as a nine year old, I was like, we it easily get into two parts. <laughs> yeah, um, and sadly we didn't. We got a Ford Sierra because it fitted my dad, dad's guitar cases better. But uh, <laughs> I really wanted the Renault because it was in the Bond film. What was it? A Renault a Renault 20,
3: 25? No,
0: I think I think in the film it's actually I'm gonna it'll be one you way around it, or the sorry. other. I think it's the Renault nine. We were actually looking at the Renault eleven. Ah, okay. numbers. You see that all the other way around,
3: but it wasn't mm. 25. It was smaller than that. So yeah, super it, shot. That that was always one of my favorites. The other thing, BJ Worth, no disrespect to BJ Worth, but he gets all the plaudits for doubling Grace Jones. Grace Jones has two other doubles on the picture. One was Clive Curtis, who <laughs> is the guy who is, when Grace Jones is, is climbing across the struts to get to the point where she jumps oh, off. Gosh, yeah. It's so to he has to do that. Uh, because it's relative close up, and he's more or less the same height. And the other stunt person who doubles for Grace Jones is at the start of the picture at Ascot. Pegasus goes a bit mad and has to. Oh, yeah. And that's Sadie Eden who is uh, who is doubling for um, for Grace Jones there. Again, it's well, a woman, this time. It's a woman, not a black woman, <laughs> by any state of the imagination. At least no, well, Clive, Clive is a black performer. Clive was the only black yeah. stuntman we had on the register since 1976. We didn't get another one till 1987, so it was quite uh, quite some time. But Sadie, because the shot was done at distance, again, proportion relatively small from where we are, we'll get away with it. So uh, that was the sequence there.
4: Justine, yes. I don't know if you did find which Renault it was, but uh, according to Corgi... It is a Renault 11. Oh, a so there
3: we go. Oh, oh. Renault 11. There yeah. Oh, See? Oh, no, my car!
4: My god!
3: god. There. <laughs> my god. <laughs> oh, is there, does anybody else find it odd that the taxi driver on his lunch? I know he's French, but he's having a glass of wine. Did that bother <laughs> yeah, it's anybody? So baby, it's know, baby. that's what really? they doing in France, France all the time.
0: What people do.
3: <laughs> um, I just thought, you know, okay, this. Hey, this
0: guy looks friendly. We'll go with him. You no, know, again, you, you watch these films, and sometimes you just sort of take it for granted, but. I don't really have a problem with heights. Well, I, I never used to, but the one time I have had a problem with heights was up the Eiffel Tower, you know, just yeah. a right. tourist, and I got up, and, then, and I just, just my legs went, you know, and it's,
3: yeah. and, and
0: to think that they went right to the top and then jumped off, it's Ugh. just nuts.
3: Again, that that whole thing with Michael Wilson being, being a very hands-on guy, he's also a very, very good mathematician. What BJ would do, or what a lot of skydivers do, f- to use as an altimeter to decide they listen to the pitch of in their in their ears changes as they get further down. They're going faster. Then the air pitch changes, and they go, ah, and then they pull the ripcord. Now, he, you see at the top of the Eiffel Tower, there is a little ramp at the top yeah. where you can run along and get off. But what Michael did was he took that for one side. He took the height. He did the weight of BJ coupled with uh, a little bit of trigonometry and feet mm-hmm. per second per second and said, you've got three and a half seconds. You know, so you just, yeah. you pull your shoot in three and a half seconds, regardless of what you hear in your ears. Make sure that's what you do, and that's exactly what he did. And so that's the type of you know you have yeah. producers on movies, but they're not like him. He's a very important cog in this wheel. And if you need stuff done, I imagine if it's if it's the the silliest thing. Michael will go. Wait, I can do this, and he will go off and sort it, and come back and deliver every time. He's very, very important to the whole to the whole shoot. And I, I also think that we, we we have to look at the San Francisco side as well, because we have the yeah. the British stunt team, but you've also got a San Francisco team. Of course, they they do this with with the with the, the French side. They've got French drivers in that sequence because it's an Anglo-French production. They do a similar thing in the States. Jimmy Arnett, James Arnett, is the guy who was responsible the stunt coordinator for the chase itself with the nd drivers and when i say nd i mean nondescript drivers background people cars out. you're going to pull out here and that police car is going to hit you and you'll end up over here right you're going to miss this one here and allow him through you block this road off and the tram turns left so all of that sort of stuff tram driver all the passengers on the tram all the people on the sidewalk, pavements, everybody in all the other cars, all stunt people. The whole sequence there, right. all stunt guys. Two women in particular, Jean Coulter, for many years, she was uh, a Farrah Fawcett's double on um, Charlie's Angels. She is the woman, you know when the Bond's on the ladder and comes around, yeah. whips the top off yes. the van, <laughs> and the couple sit up. Well, that's James Arnett and Jean Coulter, who are <laughs> sat in the back of this. Very John Glenn. Very, very... It was it was very cold on this occasion, and uh, and she just had UGG boots on. You know they had to do a bit of acting and, and then pull the yeah. sheets up and do all that sort of stuff. And um, the other woman is um, Karen Price, who is doubling for uh, uh, Stacey in the sequence where she's. You know, down in the um, in the the fire truck, but also coming down the ladder, and, and Martin oh, yeah. Grace does some of the some of the stuff of taking her down the ladder. Also, Mike Runyard uh, is the other double there, and Dick Zyker, another big uh, American name, because he was the guy that if you've seen Westworld with Yul Brynner, you'll have seen oh, yeah. that extraordinary fire sequence at the end. Well, that was Dick Zyker. And, uh, he's doubling Bond, hanging on the on the ladders, kicking the stets and hats off the guys in the cars. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all him. And uh, for me, you know, I don't know, Martin, Grace being the stunt coordinator on this and and not being the double for Bond is a a new experience. You're quite used to seeing Bond moving in a certain way because you're used to seeing Martin moving in a certain way. But he gives – Jason White is is Roger Moore's main double in the fights – Stacy's the fight in Stacy's house is that so not Roger? that's sadly no I know it looks a lot like him in his <laughs> younger years but it's not it he's also the guy who is hanging from the mooring rope on the oh, airship now the, the, the concept of that is just uh, unbelievable
1: this will hurt him more than me <laughs>
3: the the horse sequence by the way Brian Bowes is Roger Moore's double uh, on there and there's a lot of uh, great um, French riders who are are doing stuff as well some of their dismounts are lunacy one guy just falls off and lands on his head I mean he he hits the upright (laughs) and then falls off and let the first point of contact is his head you go really what for daily rate are you crazy yeah yeah, yeah. um, fantastic I mean really serious one take stuff go get him go Stuntman, you, you learn about height, and you get used to heights. But hanging from the mooring rope of an airship actually flying towards the golden gate bridge i mean you're going to have crosswinds you're going to have all sorts he's got a foothold they've created a, a metal foothold for him at the bottom so he's not having to strain this is long before the days of cameras and phones and stuff and you think god wouldn't it be amazing to just get a bit of footage that i'm down here and up the top of that rope there's the airship yeah. but i'm there's the uh, there's the golden gate bridge it's spectacular absolutely spectacular yeah big moments on this and I, I think it's a it's a terrific uh, end sequence in that of course, they built it a large proportion of that the Pinewood and you had we talked about dear green four who is of course Bill Weston is doubling yeah. Christopher Walken on the on the the Golden Gate set there oh, okay. and uh, Jason doubling for for Roger for that fight and Elaine Ford is is doubling for Stacy on there as well so we've got all of that going on and there's there is really never a taxi when you want one <laughs> <I just laughs> you know but it's it, those type of I think it's, it, that type of stuff with all these terrific set pieces and you know good cast and uh, it's great fun it's great fun from start to finish and it's a uh, you know they, they change it slightly for, uh, for the next movie but it, it, it is it is great fun from start to finish I, I miss Roger as Bond you know? oh yeah I Absolutely. liked I liked those days <laughs>
2: Well, here we are, Timothy Dalton, the two Timothy Daltons. Timothy Dalton, yeah. It is more of a continuation in terms of the stunts. They're still pushing the envelope, obviously it's still John Glenn uh, steering the ship, and right from the get-go, Gibraltar, I'd probably say this is is my favourite pre-title sequence of them all, I really do. I think the way it introduces Tim, the way the shots are set up, the score from John Barry, it's just, honestly I can't believe how good it is, and it's not just the, you know, obviously you've got the car stunts, you've got the parachuting, the way this bad guy is, is taken out. I mean, John, you'll tell us about how on earth he filmed it, but the parachute out of the back of a jeep as it's coming off a cliff at a den, I'm hoping it's, it's at least some of it is real, John.
3: Well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of it which is real. I mean, certainly the idea that, as John Glenn said himself, and he has done on numerous occasions, you've got four minutes to make this guy bond. And, you know, there's, that's, that's all there is, you know, so you have to create, you have to convince the audience at the end of this, this guy is really good. You know, there's been a, there's been a a change of leadership as far as the stunts is concerned. Paul Weston is now the coordinator. He's been involved with the, with the pictures for many, many years. So he knows what's required. He also knows the type of people that he needs to bring in. And uh, he knows where his strengths are and he knows where other people's strengths are. So he knows that simon crane has only really 1987 would have only really come onto the register quite a couple of years probably so this was one of his first big moments was on on film anyway was as uh, timothy's double and yet even though he does double him in certain sequences majority of this he's doubled by dominic Julien, because the land rover sequences is is, is reme really all of that is is created on the basis of of being able to utilize there's only two vehicles really in the whole thing you've got you've got the land rover itself and then you've got the oncoming vehicle with the family in it oh, yeah. um a little later on <laughs> so at the top of the hill he has to jump on while well, jumping on is dominic Julien. that's the french team driving away driving down the hill inside when he when bond goes inside it's uh it's simon crane so they do a lot of the inter and there's a link between the two just as soon as he goes inside as they go they miss the family in the car and they drive the the, the land rover drives through the kiosk and other bits and pieces yep. and the legs if you pay close attention to the legs that are on the top of the land rover they are mechanical right so they're not oh, real. No. they are mechanical legs as they go around but the car is driven by Michel julien um who of course was doubling bond uh in view to a kill uh, in paris uh, next to him is helen caldwell uh, British stunt woman, who's uh, sadly no longer with us. Uh, we don't know who the girl is in the back. I haven't been able to identify her. I don't know whether she grew up to be, you know, Queen of Hearts. I don't know. I don't know who she <laughs> is. But uh, uh, I don't believe for a moment she may be stunt connected. Who knows? Maybe she is. Maybe she's one of the Julians. But a number of other guys along the way. In particular, uh, Paul crops up half a dozen times during this. He's he's got a baseball cap off. He's the guy that leaps over the um, leaps over the railing as the uh, Land Rover's coming toward. Uh, He's got a shirt on, shirt off. Jumper over around his neck. Shorts on, shorts (laughs) off, you know. And uh, Dorothy Ford's up there as well, and Frank Henson. A whole bunch of them are there to avoid traffic as it comes along. Then, of course, it's fired off the end of Beachy Head is is where they uh, fired it off. John Richardson fired it off with an air cannon, and they had a uh, dummy inside it which would again be timed and push the button, and then it starts to come out, as the uh, and the parachute opens and it's it's filmed slightly slow, they they down crank it a bit. You know, they had the same way where they create the sort of Roger stuff, I suppose, as far as that uh, centrifuge thing. They're blowing air into. He breaks the window with his boot. Well, that's air coming in, so that's got to be around in the studio. And you tie all of those bits up together, and it's a very very impressive sequence. Oh, One thing which I will say, Simon Crane, although not doubling Bond for a large proportion of it, he is responsible for sliding into the gully. He's the guy that gets... Schmirt Spionum is sent along, and then the rope is cut, and he falls. Oh, yeah! So he does the first part of the fall. What a moment. The contact with the ground, and then the slide is done with the dummy. And then at the bottom, he must roll into the gully at the bottom.
0: Game's up, mate. You're dead.
3: That's pretty impressive too. He's also the guy, the SAS guy, who Bond discovers, finds that the nail has been cut, or the bolt has been cut, and then the monkey jumps across oh, in yeah, front of him. Yeah. So he, he crops up on a number of occasions there. So yeah, that's the pre-title sequence, and and impressive it is. Also, one point is that uh, Paul Heisman is knocked down by a Land Rover, which is a, a sort of co- it's a it's a, an interesting play on being knocked down by a car. The fact that car knockdowns work so well is that when you stand upright you are often taller than the bonnet of the vehicle the bonnet of the vehicle will often arrive at your hip uh, or lower down to your knees in certain cases with sports cars so the idea is that you will lift you will jump and land on the vehicle you can't do that with a Land Rover you have to get up so in order to get round it Paul had put a little mini trampoline on the front And lands on top of it and then falls off the other side. So uh, of course they, they take the tire off the front as well and take the take the windscreen wipers off and all that sort of stuff. But um yeah, tricky tricky thing to do, but very satisfying to watch. And of course you know the the, the movie continues with the, with that type of full on action, including uh, again with reme but particularly with the with the Aston Martin and that uh, that chase in the snow. Yeah. And again, jumping the Aston. You know, it's not a car that yeah for, for yeah. jumping. At the best of times, they put a cannon in the back of it and fire it up a ramp and jump it into another box rig on the ice which uh, again you there's footage on on youtube if you want to check it out and you can see them as it lands it starts the whole the whole box thing starts to move along because it's on the ice but it's a very impressive thing to watch and then of course to 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 see it when you inter intercut that with the lake where they they cut that quite small hole in the ice that then <laughs> quite a large hole in the ice but you know all of that stuff is 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 really really clever that they're able to do that that's just a pity that some of the stuff didn't really Come off in the end, you know, that whole stuff in Tangier with the chase across the rooftops and the um, Eddie Kidd sequence. There was a wonderful magic carpet scene which evidently ran too long, but when he jumps off the magic carpet, he lands on the back of Eddie Kidd's motorcycle, you know, (laughs) and does. And Eddie Kidd is doubling the guy who, uh, or is playing this character of this, who just happens to be passing on a brand new motorcycle but uh, yeah there's there's a there's a couple of lovely moments in that and of course everything leads up to afghanistan where it's breathtaking really
2: we, we saw some footage recently i think it was um like a tv spot for the royal premiere yeah and it showed prince charles visiting pinewood that's right
3: while they were filming and there's a sword fight going on with like cutlasses as the prince was going around they wanted to have some sort of feel of you know, what can be done on a set like this and how quickly can yeah. you do stuff at a moment's notice? So, Paul Weston and Simon Crane are doing this sword fight. And if you note, they are both dressed and yeah. both dressed as Bond in Afghanistan. Yeah. They're yeah. both yeah. wearing yeah. the same outfit. You know? it's a lovely tan jacket, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, I think Make everybody your- takes responsibility. They're, they're all taking credit for. Um, so, I said to the princess, I said, here, why don't you smack your husband over there with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everybody's had a go and said, "Oh yes, yeah, I yeah. was. Uh, I was responsible. There, I was there. You know, I did that. I said to I have a go? Smash him over there.' <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that became the big front page thing, which was great publicity for the for the movie at the time. A future King Crowned,' I think was my favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite headline. So, all of that. One thing there as well. And uh, he's not an. He's not a not a stuntman, but he was an extra who was when Q Bond's going into see Money Penny, and the guy sits on the sofa and disappears into the sofa. Do you remember that, whole, that whole thing there? <laughs> and it's a fascinating little thing, but apparently it's, you know, because there's rollers in that thing. It really hurt him quite badly as he got into the thing because the two things rolled together to then roll back out Ooh, of Yeah, it. yeah. And so uh, I, I think he got uh, quite a few bruises around the limbs for that, but it's a very impressive little thing. I
2: sequel. think that would be like one of the uh, top I f- gadgets I'd want. You know, you
4: could ask for a gadget. Be, a gadget. Yeah, I, yeah. I want that for Christmas every day of the week. You know,
3: you've sp- you're eating your dinner, watching the telly. You've spilled all this crap all over the sofa, and you yeah. just go and spin it around. and go, oh, I, friend, oh. You know, I tell you, you're especially these, when you've yeah, got you know. two
4: kids who are under the age of five. That is exactly what I need. Precisely.
3: <laughs> They make all this noise out of such a tiny hole, and yet they can't put food in it. Have you noticed? It goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. They transmit the whole time, and yet they put food all over the floor. So you'd think, this would be a brilliant idea. I could have this. A bit like Whisper's sofa,
2: isn't it? Well, the, the one he, <laughs> he disappears in.
3: Shall I open
2: it? Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're champagne, <laughs> He's got that the sofa that huh? blows up.
3: Then he's got that little sort of missile thing which he's hidden in and it's, we assume he's still there, don't we? But, I think that's one of the th- the important things to have around the house when you're a 35 stone man is that you <laughs> can always have an inflatable sofa knocking <laughs> by. <laughs> <laughs> this is really comfy. <gasps> <laughs> falling over the thing. That whole sequence in Afghanistan is, is you know, I mean, yeah. uh, filmed in Morocco in Wazazat is a spectacular location. It's a, it's a brilliantly ex- executed battle and they've done very well to to put everything together and give the impression of of size because there aren't really looking at it there's not that many people there you know there's a lot of horses and they've got you know they've got so many horses here and they've got so many horses there but they've only got a number of riders with them and they've got some Moroccan guys who have come in who are going to do some riding as well one thing for instance when Bond is discovered on the plane and the guard is telling him to get off the guard is Nick Wilkinson who is uh, Paul Paul Weston's assistant on the film and it's a full-size set of steps on the outside but when he's thrown off them because bond throws him off and he lands on top of koskoff and the other guy when he lands on there it's a very short set of steps so they've it's a studio shot coupled with something else but they get away with it you know and that it's uh, leading up to that uh, to that in-flight fight sequence which still takes my breath away to this moment i mean the, the whole whenever that you have to you know uh, i know <laughs> what you said earlier about about melina Steve but you, you really you have to bring into certain question Cara's concept of logic because you know the plane goes up she looks down (laughs) sees the word down and pulls the lever (laughs) and the back doors open and the lads go out the back you know and it's just it's and then once they're out she bloody levels off again it's it's confusing but when that when that bag slides out Mm, oh oh. even now you go oh it's unbelievable isn't it that's really dangerous wasn't it I feel like
0: it took a bit of a... I don't know if technology had moved on or something from A View to a Kill. Just like the they're obviously using elements of back projection there um, intertwined with the stunts. But it looks better, I think, than in any Bond film before. I don't know if the screens had got clearer or brighter or bigger or what. But I don't know if you agree, just... You don't get hit by the back projection quite so much. No, that's you,
3: true. I, I think that there are moments in Octopussy on top of the train, for instance, where the stuff going by which you you know you you can really tell it's back projection. However, when he's hanging under the train, that's a mm. carousel.
1: Mm. He's yeah, on was, top of a
3: carousel, good. and that was painted by Stanley Kubrick's wife. Oh, wow. she was the oh, uh, the oh, Matt painter yeah. for there. So that's that's a that's a carousel going around with track on it, with train track on it. But that looks so convincing. Brilliant that is, yeah. but it, and yet it's a painting. Now here you've got the real shots of them outside the plane, the shots of of Dalton and uh, Andreas outside in the it's moving you know, the actual set is yeah. moving itself. That's a that bag is being moved about. And in the background there's slightly there's a bit of discolorment going on, but you can still see that it's mountain tops.
2: Yes, and I yeah. think
3: because of that movement, the way the bag is moving about, it, it adds to it.
2: Physical performers who I know they're not doing anything like Jake Lomard and BJ Worth again, wasn't it? Yeah, doing the stunt. You know, they're doing the real hard work. But and Andreas was telling us, of course, that they'd already filmed that. So John they Glenn were reacting to, to those come other shows, with, yeah. yeah, so it's a lot easier for them to film it. But it yep. took an absolute age, I think, to piece it all together and somehow edit it and get the right shots also quite
3: disorientating too because even though you know andreas and and tim were were no further than six feet off the ground at any one time if you're hanging upside down in a bag in a in a wire bag or a mesh and you're hanging upside down no don't don't move lads let's just sort this we've got a slight (laughs) thing so hang on a minute you've got to hang on a bit longer and hang on a bit longer and hang on a bit longer and over time you're upside down you start to get a bit squirrely you know so it's easily done and yet takes a lot of bottle to just go, oh, fuck, all right, I'll hang on, and then and then go through mm. the routine, you know? Delivering punches as Andreas had to do, or and, and as Timothy did, delivering punches through the bag, yeah. or punch through the mm. hole in the bag, you know, and then slide down it. And then that has to then match with the shot of BJ sliding down or with or Jake mm. Lombard sliding down the bag. But what they did here, of course, for the purpose of the exercise, was that when the bag is cut, there was a ripcord system built into the bag, and that would be operated manually from inside the plane and at any given time now, bang, and then that button is pushed and this thing slowly comes apart. And he said even though those, you know, they're not empty bags. There is stuff in that bag, but the plane is traveling at 170 miles an hour. <laughs> you're outside. You're being hit in the face with a 200 mile an hour bag. That's full of styrofoam. <laughs> oh, it bloody hurts. You know, when it's and, and, um, down, there's
2: a shot, isn't there? oh, it, that, that's, that's, missing. The that's,
3: this is the thing. That's so where he could have been. decapitated. You, you really? take a whole bunch of the, from an, from the early part of testing of this, that bag was rigid. That bag did not move full stop. It, it literally came out of the back of the plane and stopped could have been in the middle of a typhoon and that thing would have been just stationary the whole time so they had to they had to adjust it because there were stabilizers built into that thing they had to remove them and say look this is it's taking away a lot of the reality of the the actual movement that you would have you'd have a crosswind you'd have a downdraft you'd have up lifts as well so they took those out and it did start to move naturally okay so you have to you have to take that in consideration when you're on it but also you then have to take that in consideration when you empty the bag because the the feeling and movement and character of that bag changes Mm. completely from being a full bag to being an empty bag and i'm not entirely convinced that they worked out to the very last detail how difficult that would be when jake goes because obviously he gets the boot he goes that leaves (laughs) bj on on the bag and he has to get trying to make his way back inside well that thing is now catching a lot of air from underneath yeah it's not catching as much side it's empty now and it's flapping Mm. up and down and there is a moment as you say when he is picked up and literally thrown back down and he must he must miss the back of that plane by that much Oh, and, yeah. You know, with his head, I mean, you see his legs come and they use the shot. Mm, They then finally use the shot of him landing inside the plane, but that's a studio shot afterwards. But that initial moment of him coming up, that's the shot where he just misses his head by inches, and that's when he realized it got too freaky and jumped for safety, and then the safety guy has to go out after him. Right. Just in case he has been injured in any way, the safety guy goes out after him so he can catch up with him and open a chute for him if necessary. But that's the job of the safety team is to do that.
0: Oh so, so that's what he did was it, he 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 jumped at that moment which is an astonishing shot i've always I'd always out yeah. to me it's like God, are they actually doing this because you just say it looked like he's about to hit the plane it's unbelievable he never he never that got inside he let go to the
3: and just at took that off. moment he said i'm sick of this this is way too complicated and he left he jumped out he jumped I off play. the bag and jumped clear but and it works so brilliantly in the
0: edit doesn't it where they it? cut to the studio in the edit, and it's it's they, they keep that yeah, momentum
3: yeah. Yeah, it does look very much as though he's gone up, and then he comes down into the into the in, into the thing, and it's uh, some shots of how they're filming
2: it though. The, the shot below, when you know you've got he's he's got the boot and he's falling to his
3: death, how oh, is we, that yeah. filmed again? You've that's the, the, you know, that's the camera screener. guy, and they are, they are stood together. The camera guy has to go first, yeah. um, just a just a, a split second, but he has to go first, and then Jake will then let go and go with him. So you have that shot of him falling as he falls away, and he's he's with him the whole time. But it's incredible. Just different.
2: You've got the Zorin, isn't it? They could have done it from looking outside the plane, seeing him fall that way. It wouldn't
3: have. They've done that before, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've done that we before. Yeah. With um, you, 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 don't want to do that. They, you want to. Yeah, yeah. You want to make it different. You want to see. You see his face. You know, yeah. it, it, it's actually. It, looks like Andreas, doesn't it? it It does look like Andreas, but it's a very yeah. clear shot of Jake's face as he's as he's falling and screaming away, and then it cuts to another yeah. shot of him going away, and you could still see him still hanging onto the boot. You know, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How he I'm keeps a fan of these up. movies. I'm going to keep a trinket of memorabilia, yeah. uh, all that yeah. sort of stuff. But it's it's a remarkable shot, and and oh. has to be done in such a way that. that you know what happened after that? Well, you know you, you had uh, Braddock, missing in action, all of those sort of movies, and they were doing that that exact type of aerial stuff. Can I just you bring know? you back to the camera operator who does yeah. the sure. shot? With
0: the he, he got the boot. Is, is that camera operator a trained stuntman as well, or stuntwoman, or whoever? He no, was he's it? a skydiver.
3: He's a skydiver, predominantly a skydiver. He won't be. A, he will be used. He may be... Uh, Randy DeLuca, again, was the, was the camera guy. And he will be uh, the guy that will travel with BJ and Jake if they're doing stuff of this nature. So he works with them the whole time. He knows exactly the type of shot he needed and required. And they work out, again, on, on they do dirt dives. You know, they work it out on the ground first, and then they recreate that oh. in the air. So he will decide, right, I'm standing here, you're there... I'm going to go now, and then you go, and they have, to, and they work it out between them. And then I'm going to turn, and you turn, and you're going to come around this way, and I'll catch you on the way around, and then that'll be our three seconds, and then we'll 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 cut clear.
0: And that's but amazing skill to, to be able to to be in that situation, which is clearly terrifying for most of us anyway. Oh, but to operate a camera, get the shot right, all that—I I just think that's phenomenal. You know, and deserves as much credit as the actual stunt guys themselves. Yeah. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And again, you know, one of, the, one of the great miniatures in that sequence afterwards is, is them bailing out of the back of the Hercules yes. on the tube. Mm, yeah. That's a miniature. You know, it's absolutely it's spectacular. <laughs> yeah. really is. And bear in mind that the original concept for that landing the plane was on an aircraft carrier. You know, they weren't, it wasn't supposed to land in Pakistan or wherever the hell it landed. Mm. It was supposed to land on an aircraft carrier and then go over the edge of it and be hanging on the netting on the edge of it, or they were left hanging on the, mm. edge, of the, uh, on the edge of it after. So, you know, to, to, to think, I think that's a bit more expensive. Let's see if we can come up with a plan B. And they came up with this whole concept of them landing or jumping from the plane in the jeep. It's great sequence and brilliant, brilliant miniature and the editing is superb. So yeah, for me that's I mean, it's that really is one of those spectacular moments. And another thing that I think is very is very uh, very good for uh, for those two movies to have Timothy involved in that because um yeah. I say not many people knew what who Timothy was still then. You know, and the movie that he did after that was uh, was a, a British comedy called Hawks, which is still one of my favourite movies. <laughs> oh, yes, no. it was a oh, cool, good man. It was, good man. It was a complete. It was a complete change of direction. You know, I'd I love it I mean, with
0: Julie go. T. Wallace. Oh, oh I, I've spoken it. at length about Hawks many times. Yeah, well, yeah. Jeffrey <laughs> steals that The
3: Saab dealership. He really Say again, Tom. You do know about the quarry, don't you? The quarry <laughs> it's fucking right on in the ground. Brilliant.
0: <laughs> brilliant you can no, um, a, i think story you, on on it, it, one of your brothers brilliant. found that it was it's actually you can get watch it on youtube as it is a you know a proper available yeah, can, film yeah.
3: oh I'd, i've if you want a copy i've got it i'll uh, yeah I'll i had like it on vhs it um i've never seen it
0: released in any any other format
3: i've no. got it i've got a digital version of it so i'll send it over to you it's um, a great film but it's, uh, it's, great. Good. it's Oh, it's, it's great fun but then uh, you know uh, go hang on this is james bond you know it's really it's a very strange <laughs> picture. but that they were the type of choices that he made you know he's a good actor it. here I, we go you can't yeah, be, you i just
4: be. love that like hawks is overtaking superman 3 as the most talked about <laughs> most talked about non-james bond film on this podcast
3: i'll tell you what i'll tell you another thing if Barry Gibb had have provided the soundtrack for Superman yeah. 3, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, that's a great soundtrack. <laughs> that is a oh. masterful piece of – that's a great – Is a great album. That, I did know? not – That Barry Gibb – look, I, you are open-mouthed, I my not friend. Know. Barry Gibb provided the score for Hawks because he, re- he had the story for right. yeah. right, yeah. Hawks. I haven't it watched well. Hawks
4: yet, but that, that is the game-changer <laughs> for me.
3: I will be absolutely it's watching that now. fabulous fabulous well worth right it. so uh, Just don't watch, uh, yeah. don't worry about your christmas I'm, that's I'm all joy, I'm you, you the hawks watch first. that okay <laughs> <laughs> such a but, great film but, but yeah there were there were more the whole... stunts in superman
2: 3 than hawks i'm sure
3: but... oh, in canada <laughs> yeah they did a lot of stuff in canada which which uh that opening sequence is supposed to be uh it's toronto i think it is but some lovely moments in that but yeah so uh daylights you know really tick the box and uh and uh, License to Kill was was the um, was it the logical step two? I'm, I don't know. Did it go through a lot of changes to get to the License to Kill that we know and love now?
0: I heard I heard someone say just this week on Twitter actually that they wish there'd been a third Dalton film between Daylights and License to Kill. Oh. So yeah, not to change License to Kill at all or Daylights, yeah. but to have yeah. had a film in between that perhaps had him just do one more mission as a re- as a regular spy where he doesn't go Right. right. And I, you know, I'd be happy with that, because I'd just be happy with more Dalton. But but yep. License to Kill is my favourite Bond yeah, film, so as long as those still exists, I, I don't mind. It'll
2: be easier than just after you've had such a personal mission and high stakes in terms of the character, if you just went back to hit for a third one, which is more normal, that might be seen as a bit odd, I suppose, yeah. in modern cinema. But you do realise you're with three of the biggest License to Kill fans ever. I'm hoping that it's one of your favourites.
3: Well, yeah, it is one of my favourites. I mean, I, oh. uh, particularly from an action point of view. License to Kill is always. Uh, um, I was at the press show. I saw it at the press showing. Back in when I was a kid in 1989. Oh. Um, you did see it, I in saw it. There. I saw it at the, uh, the uh, Odeon, Leicester oh. Square. I had the press oh. show in the morning. At the press show in the morning and then the um, premiere in the evening. I didn't go to that. But I was sat behind Barry Norman and the guys who were presenting going live as i seem to remember it was called at the time the saturday morning tv show it's an interesting combination watching all of those three passing it, popcorn yeah. amongst each other but ba- barry norman liked it enormously and he, he, he always said it was directed with gusto by john yes. glenn and i do think that's yeah. right i think that john glenn has kind of he said right i've got this new character i've got this new actor and i've tried to sort of assist him mould it into the bond that he wants to do well now I'm going to really throw some stuff at yeah. it and, and he does that with good casting the fact that it's predominantly set you know in the States in, in these uh, exotic locations the fact that it's very different to what we've seen before the fact that it doesn't have a John Barry score you know it has Michael Kamen coming in mm. and doing lots of lethal weapon stuff that he couldn't use before yeah. which he sort of uh, affected by ending it up in there as well uh, I Still to this day, I want to hear the um. I want to hear the oh, Eric Clapton yeah. score. I know that it's, it's out, it's yeah, out there yeah. somewhere because obviously the three of them who worked on the Lethal Weapon pictures, Michael Kamen, David Sanborn, who who was the uh, sax player, and Clapton, they did they did a score for License to Kill, but it, it was rejected. So Kamen had to then go off and, and tweak it and came up with this one. But I would love to hear that.
2: Obviously, they did work with Kamen, Eric Clapton on Lethal Weapons, and and Sting, of course, for the for the song. Yes, is that lethal uh, uh, three or lethal?
3: Uh, it's probably me. It's probably me. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the other. Yes, it's probably. I always get that one mixed up with the one that they did for one of the Three Musketeers movies, the one that him and Rose oh, yeah, Stewart yeah. And, and the Canadian All bloke, for love Whoa. Brian Adams. There we are. Yeah. Anyway, enough about Brian Adams. Let's move on. License to Kill has those. That again, you know, the initial aerial yeah. sequence, yeah, yeah. nice idea, worked very well. Very tricky little jump at the end as well. When they're when they Felix goes. And then Bond goes and there is contact between the two of them. Yeah. You know, Felix jumps off one and Bond jumps off the other and they kind of touch each other midair as they as they fall well, down. No. <laughs> but that was a nice little sequence. Um also how did he open his parachute? With two top hats in his hand. Does anybody want to tell me that? Because <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> pop one on, could he? Unless it was a staple it to his forehead, like Indiana Jones's hats that kept going. <laughs> so there are a couple of great moments in this. The highlights, really, the truck chase, obviously. That's a major factor, With again, with Remy Julien, but the Kenworth trucks were very good in creating probably the first form of blind driving that we're familiar with, really. Nowadays, there are pods on top of vehicles. Well, the Kenworth truck had a blind driving position behind the driver's position. So when uh, Carrie Lowell is behind the wheel or when... But- timothy dalton's behind the wheel they're not driving it the guy behind is driving it so that was all created for them specifically and of course there's a moment in the picture where the the, the vehicle needs to go up onto eight wheels instead of uh, <laughs> you know it's conventional 16 wheels or however many wheels it's got and there's only one man in the world who can do that which is Gilbert bataille who just happens to be uh, in reme's phone book uh, yeah. but you know he is the man we we talked uh, when we talked about diamonds uh, about buzz bundy he was the guy in america well Gilbert bataille was the guy who did it in france I think he held the world record for having a truck on two wheels uh, which I think was four miles down around a racetrack so that's corners as well and if you watch him when he goes up initially he's relatively straight when he has that passing shot the cameras here and the vehicle then passes going towards the jeep which is now empty he has to cover a great deal of ground he's coming from the far side of the road over here and that's only because he's having to tweak the steering and flutter the gas just a touch to keep everything going and that takes huge amounts of coordination because you're feeling everything through the toes and through your fingers as you're feeling the the tires bite a bit further over there or that's too far and it's within and he he lands right in the middle of that jeep i mean it's abs- it's it's spot on you know you couldn't yeah. have asked for anything better right in the middle so i've always been a huge fan of that i'm also a huge fan of uh, skiing behind the boat of the plane unbelievable see yeah which is a lovely well, lovely yeah. sequence Uh, Sadly, you can't do it for real because the um, uh, plane or seaplane certainly doesn't have enough forward thrust enabling you to ski behind it. And that's what they found uh, when they were trying to do it for real. So the shots where Bond is is behind the plane is actually behind a speedboat uh, getting him along. But again, more importantly, they needed to find somebody who could Mm. actually ski barefoot. And at the yes. time, there was one guy, David Reinhardt, who, again, <laughs> this is what happens with Bond movies. You find the guy who invents yeah. skateboarding. You create bungee jumping or whatever the hell you do. You create base jumping. And now we create barefoot skiing. And, and David Reinhardt was the guy who invented barefoot skiing. How do you and he find said, out you can do that? How do you it's find, me. you know, yellow pages? What do you do? You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hello i'm trying to find a bloke who skis without <laughs> know, skis uh you could find that you. you can't google it you know you have to know people who know people yeah and that's eventually what happened and, and he was he was presented and said yeah i can do this and uh, he really can do it i mean the, the most extraordinary work that he was doing but then you have that moment where he then has to be doubled by paul weston to get onto the plane so when oh, he swings yeah. out so he comes out over here and, and he swings all the way out to then get propulsion, which then the tension of that cable will then drag him back towards the plane, and then he grabs onto the plane. Well Paul Weston has done that. Paul Weston hasn't barefoot skied in his life. <laughs> you know so he has to learn i from David has to show him how to get that you know thing to keep you upright, the positioning the balance the whole nine yards to get you from here to here, and over time what they do, what they found out was that it was actually simpler to where. Little plastic pumps or plimsolls or something like that, just on the feet, which would allow you to scoop through the water. You just lift your toes slightly and create your own bow wave, you know. So that that was a okay. simple way of doing it. But there's uh, that
2: shot where you just see as he's, he's climbed onto it and it's gaining height, his feet just still skim the top of the water. I
3: love that. Yeah, mm. that's, that's, that's Paul. Paul did as all it, of that. More
0: and as, I assume it's Paul as he comes to the to the plane, he hits it pretty yeah. hard. Mm. I've always yeah. thought it, he hits it like
3: at speed. Yes, he does, yeah. yeah. Thirty miles an hour, he hit it at. It's a wetsuit he's wearing now. I assume, for the purpose of the contact, he would have been wearing something else under there as well. But you know, you have to prepare yourself for that. As a stuntman, I suppose you you have to go. Yep, yeah, okay. I'm prepared. I'm going to take a knock and I am going to get a bruise out of this, and I might get winded or injured or something. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to dwell on it, but it's a thing that you have to consider as, a, as an option. So that initial impact is is a brutal impact, but then beyond that, he then has to be on the skid of that. There's no wires here, by the way. He's not he's not wired on. No. He is hanging on to the skid of this seaplane oh, as it really? takes off. <laughs> he then works his way along the underside of it and then gets onto the skid of it so he can get inside. Then... The aerial team take over for that next sequence because oh. obviously the guy comes out. He goes, he goes in, and he pulls the door lever, and the guy goes out. Yeah. So that's that's the aerial. That's part of BJ's team. So all of that's there but uh, that initial sequence leading up to that that's all done for real and it's very exciting and of course you've got you know that truck chase and then you've got that fire job at the end which uh, again oh, yeah. is um is a remarkable fire sequence because Paul wasn't supposed to be doing it it was a last minute thing that the stunt guy that was down to do it said look I've um, I've been given an opportunity to go and go back to the states and 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 do a TV show It's regular work for a little while and I think I can't afford
0: to do a TV show where I don't have to be set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is
3: also a bonus, possibly yes, but I think he was thinking more along the lines of, "Well, I've got some regular work coming over the next three months, you know, yeah. so I can't afford to turn." And Paul knows the deal, as far as that's concerned. He understands the, the the different options that that guys have to take. Not all stump people will go. Are you kidding me? This is a Bond movie. Of course, I'm going to stay. You know, so. He said, okay, leave me your fire suit and I'll get it off to you. Fine, okay, cool. And that's what happened. And so he got into the costume. He has the, projective, the protective gel on. He has the protective clothing. He has all of this on. He has air. He's going to be breathing air for a 30 second, minute and a half burn is the plan. But he's only got you know that's it, so he has to have the full costume on the face mask the whole nine yards, and he's breathing air and then he has to get from his caravan he is taken then to the set so he can then be gelled up externally so he's got the uh, the protective gel on now he has the flammable gel on the outside and he's still using air out of, through this moment and he thinks well that's okay that'll then leave me with 30 seconds more or less 30 seconds for the burn itself so I'll be okay with that and it gets to the point and he's absolutely ready and they're just about to light him and then Alec Mills says hang on we've just got to do something with the camera He's he go oh, for fuck's sake really <laughs> so that's another 25 seconds or so he has very limited air left and they go right and action boom light him and then there he goes and just as he is about to go he takes a couple of breaths and he's breathing in and nothing's happening but he knows he has air left and it's got the slightest little blockage in it and he's trying to he's trying to blow down it to clear the blockage and bear in mind he's about to be set on fire in a very very explosive fire sequence and he's now worried that he doesn't have any air left. You've got all this stuff. This is why I said you've got to be yeah. mentally strong as well, because you can be physically ready. But in here, if this turns to mush, if you're, if what, what mm. happens inside your head suddenly goes squirrely and you can't deal with this anymore, that's a major issue. But you have to be focused, and that's what Paul has to do. He has to think, okay, it's fine. I can clear this. It's not a problem. And he goes through a routine in his head. <laughs> he's trying desperately to blow it and then clears it just at the last moment and has a moment. And he will go through the routine of finding with his toes, the edge. He's created a little ledge for himself. So he knows where he is and he's now going to move himself along. And then he falls down on his knees. Then he falls down on his belly and then he gets put out as he, I mean, you know, I've, I've explained that to you, which has taken a minute or so, a couple of minutes to explain, but all of this in his head has taken you know, afterwards and yeah. he's not, and he, he's, he knows he's, he's fine. But when they take the hood off, and they take the mask off and then it's the transference of heat. Mm-hmm. So he's out externally, but internally through the layers. Now inside is getting warmer and his his cooling gel has burnt away. So he now he has to desperately try and get these clothes off and is still being extinguished as he takes every layer off because the, the, the closer you get to the skin, he doesn't want the b- skin to burn, you know? That's why these layers are soaked in cooling gel so that it will slow down that transference of heat before it gets to the skin. And he's very lucky. I mean, I said himself he's very lucky, but, you know, you have to think about what you're doing and that could have been so, so much worse. But it's, a. Am- I mean, I think Paul was absolutely spectacular on both oh. of those pictures. They're two huge pictures to be stunt coordinator on and he, he really did deliver on both of those. You could have had everything don't you want to know
0: why it's a phenomenal it's a shame that a lot of viewers who aren't familiar with the film who Catch it on ITV, and quite understandably, ITV cut mm. that scene out because it would be horrific at half past two in the yeah.
2: afternoon
0: yeah. for kids. But uh, you don't get that—you <laughs> don't get that stunt, or not much of it anyway, because
3: uh, it has to be chopped out. But um, it's first time annoying. I saw it for real, I think it was on Laserdisc. Oh, nice! Uh, Somebody—I ha- had, yeah. had a VHS copy of a Laserdisc. Then you saw the whole thing. You saw the head yeah, explode and a whole nine that. yards of everything. And you go, wow, okay. Bear in mind also, they were asked to take a scream off the soundtrack to get a 15 certificate. You know when he says, give her his heart. And then they, you know, yeah. at, at the next line or so, when he's talking to her, <gasps> before he starts whippie, you hear the yeah. scream in the background, yeah. which I'd never heard before. So yeah. they had to take that off as well. So you go, really? And that was a 15. Uh, and I think that was, a, that was another reason why, obviously, we have a, a huge delay now between *License to Kill* and, and, and *Goldeneye*. You know, there's a lot of people who would have seen Bond films who couldn't see it because they were they weren't. Yeah. I can't take yeah. my what, what did Timothy Dalton say? I can't take my six-year-old son to see it. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You're yeah. not supposed to take a six-year-old son to <laughs> yeah. see it. It's Bond. It's about a killer." You know, but um, I think it might it had an issue as far as that was concerned too. But it's it's I think it's a terrific film. It's, it certainly stands the test of time. But I do see what people say about it being, you know, the movie of the week. It has that look. I don't know whether it. If you compare it to to uh, Living Daylights, Living Daylights looks like it's a you know a gritty motion picture. License to Kill is such a beautifully shot because it's in all of these places which are beautifully sunny and everybody's wearing lovely clothes and bright clothes and bright, 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 yeah. bright. Even when it's sense. supposed to look dark and dingy and grim, it looks fabulous. The fish in the fish tank—another moment that I missed the first time around, but <laughs> you know Bond. Is hiding underneath a fish tank. The stuntman is Carl Cefalio. Who's the guy up in the top who shoots, yeah. breaks the fish tank and cause the yeah. fish all go over bond and he runs away. And then you, you see him walking past a fish tank and he goes plop and plops one back in again. Cause obviously it's got t- trapped in his clothing or something. <laughs> all you see right. all this, the lovely, colors of these fishes i go oh, well i would never spotted that before and that was the difference between that and laser disc the quality was oh. and i suppose 4k is going to do the same sort of thing but uh, yeah the end of the uh, the era for dalton can i just br- briefly I ask ten. you two things
0: about the tanker chase uh, well one, yes. one is more of something that i just thought was a great uh, bit of on the spot thinking was when the two tankers are bashing each other down the road and i well, yes. he hit it too hard didn't he or something and it, it crashes into the side of the mountain Yes, I, I imagine now with the kind of budgets films have got, they would just get another truck and reshoot the scene. But actually what they did there quite cleverly was that they just re-choreographed the scene. So they kept that shot yep. and now had the truck at the side and the missile goes under his, when he's up on nine wheels, and hits the crashed truck rather than hits the driving truck yeah. behind yeah. him that it would have been.
3: Yeah, but- Exactly. I mean, you, you go to all the trouble of of thinking, right, what do we do here? He's hit it too hard, he's lost control, we've driven it into the side, okay. Let's use that and let's reshoot it. Then they have the driver getting out, the missile is fired, and he goes, whoa, and starts to run away, whoa. and then it explodes. He's never going to get clear of the damn thing, but you never see that, you know. But um but it's it's a terrific. I tell you what, there's it's all I think it's one of my favorite explosions in the entire I, I, I have a okay. I've just discovered I have a I have a top ten of explosions. Um, <laughs> oh yeah! But this is this is one of my favorite explosions in the entire in the entire movie. When Bond is Bond gets into the ve- the truck and then does the two wheel driving thing. Right? Paul Weston is the driver of one of the trucks, and his associate uh, stuntman Mark Boyle drags him out and lies him on the floor, and then the truck Dalton takes the truck, and in front of him. This truck, that tanker, there's a huge mm. explosion. And it's I think it's slowed just a touch, but it's like a ripple explosion as this whole oh, thing. Yes, yes. Yes. Wow, this is amazing. Just feels and the there screen, are a number of it? moments in the in the series where you go, Oh, that's a good explosion. Mm. Oh, that's a good but then later on they kind of said, We you know, we, we haven't had a really good explosion for like two months. <laughs> we need a good explosion and maybe push the boundaries too
2: far. But uh, that was uh, particularly. yeah, where they sort of stop and watch and it's in the background and Oh, that's a big explosion. Yeah, that is, <laughs> yeah. It is phenomenal. It, it was amazing. the biggest one ever, yeah. and,
0: and the, the one other thing from the chase, and I, I mentioned to you uh, when we weren't on the podcast about this one, uh, and you said it might be more of an S special effects shot, but was when, and I think it's just a, a fabulous throwaway shot in that tanker chase sequence, is when the Jeep crashes off the edge of the cliff and <laughs> yeah. it just misses Pam's, oh oh, yeah he just flies over it and it's such a sort of brief shot but to me phenomenal
3: it is it's a very it is a brief shot and a a throwaway shot as well because it just doesn't need to be filmed however (laughs) these guys have got their i suppose they wanted to embellish the fact that look these guys have driven through fire their tires are now on fire the side of the car's on fire wouldn't it be good if they kind of drove off something i think it's I've got no evidence to prove that it was done for real. And if it was done for real, you know, you'd think people would be shouting from the rooftops and going, I was in that. Uh, I was in the plane, by the way. Yeah, I was yeah. in the plane, and I did that. And here's my book. <laughs> and uh, here's – you know, they'd they'd have done something about it. But I, I just don't think it was. But it, it looks – it does look extraordinary, particularly with Pam's there going – and she gives it that, yeah. as she looks yeah. at the thing as it goes yeah. over, you know. There's that uh, shot yeah, where
2: Sanchez – Set off a missile, and it does see it go
3: through the side of the plane, doesn't it? <laughs> through the tail. It's that's real. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's incredible. Um, and it would be nice to have another another shot after that of you know an airliner going by, and, and yeah, exactly, pilot <laughs> reading a paper that. or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and flies by. Because was that? <laughs> nah. and then goes back <laughs> to reading his paper again. You know, but yeah, the fire, no, good, good stuff.
2: The tankers as well, clinging on to them oh. for dear life.
3: And it hadn't been done before, and I don't know why, but I'm really happy it was. And a lot of people go, oh, it's just terrible. If you're going to have ricochets down the side of an object or indeed a tanker, have it done in the bun theme, why don't you? Brilliant. Who's Who thought, do you know what this sequence needs? It needs a bit of shtick, is what it needs. That's what it needs. We need a bit of That's what we need okay i'll write it into the score but yeah lovely moment that
2: our older brother james he was the only one who who could see it at the time because we we're of that generation you mentioned where you know we weren't old enough really to watch living daylights and then we weren't 15 so we basically had to wait until Goldeneye. so right it was good because that meant we grew up on all the old bonds so we were sort of used to them Mm. but i remember when my older brother james had seen license to kill and he said the guy is set on fire, and it is actually a guy, and we couldn't, we just couldn't believe it. And when we got around yeah. to seeing it on the video, when he could rent it, we were just absolutely flabbergasted at this. It's just, it's a real yeah. guy. I read that Timothy Dalton was like watching, and he said he was
3: white-faced. Well, n- not Watch only was you. Timothy Dalton watching, but Timothy Dalton was responsible for setting him alight. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's, the, he's the one. Who the does sequence it, he? The yeah. involves him with that lighter, and and yeah, Tim gosh, was on it, the yeah. rock you know tim was there on the rock he had flam- he had uh, cooling gel on as well in case there was yeah. there was any transfer but they'd worked it between themselves he was going to start him off uh-huh. and there is a photograph of tim there on the rock and paul completely engulfed in flames it's a remarkable sequence it really is yeah. And you hadn't seen many, I'd never seen, and I'd I, no, been I excited know. about fire jobs for years, but you'd never really, not, not, you'd seen stuff in America maybe. You might have seen a guy on fire there or, or in a movie or something, or maybe on late night not TV. the head though, surely not the head. The head, the whole nine yards, the everything, you know, it was very, very, very cool in an ironic way. Let's
2: really away with the massive explosion in the background. You know, yeah. That's real, isn't it? Just... Bond
3: bleeds, you know, the, that whole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thing of Bond being, they were, they were See, infuriated. 61st blood didn't he? Yeah. he had blood he had scratches he had silly hair but anyway we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. right, was fine up until the the ray ring yeah they didn't need yeah, to be that casino, really
2: casino yeah the snooker couldn't it? yeah <laughs> snooker. It's, uh, yes it's quite funny when he's been lowered on the crane in, in the wedding suit when the hair's flapping it down that's, that's quite, a, <laughs> quite a nice
3: shot tim's hair pretty. yes it was a peculiar choice of uh, bouffant <laughs> there
2: he is
4: very
3: scruffy away in that
4: film though isn't he like you know I I love oh. that film but it's the scruffiest Bond no doubt like in terms of what he dresses
2: oh yeah there's a big
3: step up for Gold in terms of making oh, look proper so, yeah <laughs> Pierce really in comparison to that could have fallen down a, te- a, a toilet <laughs> cistern come out <laughs> the other side absolutely pristine and then straightened his tie you know whereas um Tim has to be you know walking along and then bunked on the head with a with a signature gun that looks like a box brownie and all of a sudden he's he's got massive gashes and cuts and all sorts all over him he was he was in a right state really but brioni probably wrote something into pierce's contract that said this suit must not be damaged in any way <laughs> yeah, yeah. no dust nothing at all
4: wouldn't have it any <laughs> other way it's brilliant this is
3: this Absolutely. is why we love boxing. oh exactly yeah.
2: so good really the best that's it for part three of our look into the best stunts of the James Bond franchise. We now move into the Pierce Brosnan era, covering the films GoldenEye to Die Another Day.
1: Planning for your next trip?